0: Today, we're going to begin a, a new study, and this is the Lord's teaching on how to pray. Now, the core of what we call the Lord's Prayer, it appears twice in the Gospels, and uh, we will primarily focus on the longer version, which is in Matthew, the sixth chapter, and, uh, but we'll be using Luke um, 11 from time to time to kind of deepen our insights of the prayer. So let's begin with a study overview. This morning. Now, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, those three chapters there, um, the Sermon on the Mount, the great sermon that everybody talks about, Sermon on the Mount, it just kind of summarizes everything that Jesus taught. You know, and there's a reason that this prayer is the centerpiece of that sermon. You know, this model prayer, it contains just everything we need to know about prayer in just five short verses and in the King James Version, um, just 66 words. Now we're going to use the King James Version for the Lord's Prayer because probably that's the version you use when you memorized it. Looking at the age of mo- most of you in here, that's the version that you memorize the Lord's Prayer out of. So we want to stay with that, and other verses we'll be using the New, new International Version. Amazon.com has over eight thousand books on prayer and who knows how many sermons and devotions and lessons are out there on the internet but despite all that information there's still people that just have a hard time with prayer they'll tell you that prayer is kind of a weak moment for them it's a weak area of their life now ironically Jesus never mentions most of the items um, covered in the books and sermons on the internet. So here's here's just a small list, a short list of issues that's not discussed um, in the Lord's Prayer. The first one is this. Jesus does not teach us the posture of prayer. He does not teach us the posture of prayer. So apparently when it comes to prayer, any posture will do. Matter of fact, when you look through the scriptures, you'll see people praying while they're standing up, while they're kneeling, while they're laying prostrate, while they're lifting up their heads, while they're bowing their heads, while they're lifting up their eyes, while they're closing their eyes, while they're pounding their chest, while they're facing the ground, while they're facing heaven, while they're facing toward the temple. Second thing, Jesus does not teach us the place to pray. You know, in the Bible, People prayed, they prayed on battlefields, they prayed in caves, in closets, in gardens, on mountains, by rivers, in the sea, in the streets, in a home, in their beds, on housetops, in prison, in the wilderness, in the temple, in Hades, and even in the belly of a fish. They prayed, all these different places. You know, Paul says in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, he says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Third thing, Jesus does not teach us the time to pray. You know, in the Bible we're admonished and we see people pray early in the morning, mid-afternoon, three times a day, in the evening, before meals, after meals, at the ninth hour, at bedtime, at midnight, day and night, you know, when they're young, when they're old, when they're in trouble, Today, every day, often and always. And in 1 Thessalonians, it says, pray continually here. The fourth thing, Jesus does not teach us what to wear or how to act when we pray. Um, In the Bible, people, they wore sackcloth. They sat in ashes. They shaved their heads. They put dust on their heads. They tore their garments. They fasted. They wept. They groaned they poured out their hearts, they made oaths, they offered sacrifices, they offered praise, and in prayer they sang for joy. They sweat drops of blood. They weighed, you know, they're wailed in grief. And since Jesus never addressed it, prayer seems to be a good thing in any posture, any time, any place, under any circumstances, and any time. And finally, listen to number five. Jesus does not teach us a mantra to repeat. He does not teach us a mantra to repeat. Folks, the Lord's Prayer is a model or it's a pattern to follow, not a formula to recite, something that we need to know. Now, certainly if our hearts are right and our minds are engaged, it's certainly not a sin for us to recite the Lord's Prayer. It's a good thing. But if and when we do that, we should never, ever forget that just prior to um, teaching, Jesus warned, prior to this teaching of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus warned us in, in the seventh verse here, he tells us when you pray, do not like heathens use vain repetition. Do not like heathens use vain repetition. He never said, pray this over and over. He never said that. But rather, when you pray, this is how to do it. You know, honestly, this probably shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer. You know, the Lord's Prayer, it's over in John the 17th chapter. This is the Lord's pattern for prayer when you look at that. Well, here's what we do find, you know, in the Lord's Prayer. First of all, it reveals our appropriate relationship with God. It reveals our appropriate relationship to God. Folks, every line here in the Lord's Prayer is about God and you. Now, the prayer has two major themes in it, and each of those themes is expressed in three lines. Theme number one is this, is God's glory. That's theme number one. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And thing number two is man's needs. You know, give us bread. That's our present needs. You know, forgive us our debts. That's our past needs. And lead not, but deliver us. You know, that's our future needs. It's all about his glory, our needs, and our relationship to him. Now, today, we're going to, basically, we're going to learn all about the father-child relationship with God, and that's as far as we're going to get in the Lord's Prayer today. Number two, this prayer, even though it doesn't tell us exactly what to say, but it does reveal to us the heart we're to have in prayer, how our hearts should be. In fact, almost every word here in the Lord's Prayer reveals some just vital truths about how we are to approach God and how do we approach his throne. Like the word our, our, you know, it teaches us that we must have an unselfish spirit. Father, you know, that we're members of a great family. How would, um, that our God must be approached with just great reverence. Kingdom is a call to loyalty and thy will is a call to submission. Give us reminds us of our dependency. Forgive us, reminds us to be penitent. Lead us, reminds us to be humble. Thine is the glory. It's a call for us um, to have a spirit of praise and forever reminds us that our relationship to God is eternal. You know, this prayer also, number three on your outline there, um, it reveals the goal of all prayer is not to manipulate God to get what we want, but to bring him glory. That's what the goal should be, is to bring God glory. You know, prayer helps us to hallow his name, to bring his kingdom, and to learn to do his will. Well, let's talk a little bit about the context here. Now, as I've already said, this teaching on how to pray, it appears in Matthew in the middle of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, immediately following his warnings on how not to pray. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, when you think about this, the Sermon on the Mount is basically the kingdom's manifesto when you look at it. Because basically it tells us how to enter and then live as citizens of God's eternal kingdom. That's what this prayer tells us about. You know, the sermon, which begins with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and runs all the way to the end of Matthew 7, is a summary outline of all the major themes that Jesus addressed throughout his earthly ministry. So when you think about that, if you want to get an overview of Jesus' ministry, these three chapters right here will tell you that. I mean, this is really a concise um, rendering of what Jesus is going to be teaching. However, Luke's version of this, given on a separate occasion, it was given in private, and it was given only to the 12 in response to a specific observation and request of the disciples there. In Luke 11 and and verse 1, it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, when you couple that with Mark, the first chapter, verse 35, you see that the imperfect tense reveals to us that it was a custom of Jesus to get up very early in the morning to go off by himself and begin his day um, communing with his father. Now, as the disciples were observing this, you know, as they were observing the the um, personal discipline and the strength and the and the peace that Jesus seemed to draw from it. Yeah, and knowing that John the Baptist, the greatest man born of woman, um, he was also a man of prayer and had taught his uh, this discipline to his disciples, the Lord's disciples, you know, they felt that they needed to learn about prayer also. So they wanted to know. So they asked Jesus, will you teach us about prayer? And in fact, to my knowledge, this is the only time Um, are the only thing that the disciples ever specifically asked Jesus for. And this was a request that Jesus was happy to fulfill. He was glad to fulfill this request to teach them to pray. So in Luke 11, Jesus privately, he taught his, his kingdom future leaders how to pray. But here in Matthew 6 that we're studying today, He taught some of the same spiritual disciplines to all those who would choose to enter the kingdom and serve the king. That's what this prayer's about. Well, moving along, let's observe the context here, or the content, I'm sorry. Let's observe the content of Matthew 6 and verse 9. The Lord's teaching on prayer. Here's the way it begins. This then is how you should pray our Father in heaven. Now, that very first phrase right there is just pregnant with profound implications for our lives. It's just chock full of implications for our lives here. Specifically here, there are three axioms, meaning that um, things that are just understood to be true. Without a doubt, they are true. There are three things here that that should govern all of our prayers here. You know, every word we utter in prayer, it must be in alignment with these three truths right here. Now, in our day, people tend to take this first truth for granted and they fail to appreciate its profound implications here. But it was an absolute shocker to the Lord's original audience. Jesus said, when you pray, Pray to God as a father. Pray to God as a father. Now, the Greek word for father is pater, from which we get a word paternity and patriarch here. But Jesus spoke Aramaic, and no doubt he used here the word Abba. And Abba, that's an intimate and just enduring um, title that Hebrew children use when addressing their daddy. Now, think about this with me. The Jews, they had always called Jehovah Father. Always. They called um, Jehovah Father, but not their daddy. They didn't do it that way. You know, they thought of him as an ancestor or a parent and protector of their nation, but never individually as their intimate Abba. They didn't think of him that way. You know, they believed that they could petition him for mercy and grace, you know, as as one could petition a a good king anywhere, but they never envisioned themselves crawling up onto God's lap. They never thought of it that way. So the familiarity um, of the Lord's turn towards God was shocking. You know, they didn't know what to do they were kind of beside themselves. But even more shocking than that was the assertion of Jesus that all of us can have this kind of relationship with God, every one of us. little side note here, God as Father was just totally a foreign concept to the first century Gentiles. You know, the whole Roman world was kind of divided into two philosophical camps here. The Stoics, being one camp, they believed the defining attribute of a god was apatheia, which essentially is the inability to inexperience or to experience any feelings. They didn't think that God could have any feelings. And the Stoics, they taught that gods, they were by nature passionless, you know, the emotionless, they were incapable of feeling, and thus always they were just indifferent um, and apathetic toward men. And on the other hand, the other part of the camp here. The Epicureans, they thought that the supreme quality of all deities was not apatheia, but it was ataraxy, which is something a little bit different, which means perfect calm and serenity. The Epicureans, they taught that the gods were always in just perfect peace. That's the way that they were, which obviously they could not maintain, especially if they had allowed themselves to get involved in the affairs of men. So they too thought that all deities um, were detached and distant here. And so they were just as shocked when, with Jesus' words, when you pray, say Abba. They were shocked at that. They didn't understand that. So here is just a monumental implication here, not just for all of our prayers, but for our lives as well. Jesus said, pray to God as a father. Well, folks, if we pray to God as a father, you know, to think of God as a father means an end to all fear. Think of it this way. For those of us who had great earthly fathers, and many of you did, I know I did, the concept of God as father makes this whole, uh, makes a whole lot of stuff just kind of fall into place here. You know, my dad, he was not a perfect man, but he was a loving provider and protector who modeled for me a whole lot of godly qualities. I got most of my godly qualities from my dad. And in my child eyes, when I was just a child, in my eyes, as long as my dad was around, I had no fear, no loneliness, no issues of self-esteem or hopeless situations, because my dad was the strongest, he was the smartest, and he was the richest man in the world in my eyes. You know, I believe my dad could fix any problems, and he can protect, and he could provide for me, no matter what situation that I was in. Well, I believe that he would teach me whatever I needed to learn in life. I think he would teach me everything that I needed to know in life. Well, as I got older, I learned my dad was not the strongest, the smartest, or the richest person in the world. But as a child, I learned that a father um, is one who always loves and can always be trusted to do what is best for a child. That's what fathers do. Now, if you didn't uh, experience that kind of father growing up, it might be just a little bit harder for you to just let go and let God have his way in your life. Because first, you've got to learn that God is not in any way like your dad. But I can say this, he is the father that you always wanted and needed. And let me also say this, all of us today who are fathers, no matter how we were raised, whether it's a good home or a bad home, a good father or a bad father, For our kids' sake, we must do the very best we can to imitate our Heavenly Father. Well, Jesus told us in Matthew, the sixth chapter, in verse 31 through 33, says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Second thing here, we're to pray to God as our father. This is something we learn in this model prayer. We're to pray to God as our father. Now that word, our, when you stop to think about that, it brings both good and bad news. Remember in Luke, Jesus was speaking just to his disciples, and in Matthew 6, he was speaking just to those in the crowd who would choose to enter the kingdom by becoming poor in spirit, by becoming meek, and people mourning over their sin, and hungering, and thirsting after righteousness. You see, God, he is the father of all kingdom people. He's the father of all who would, through faith, choose to be born again into his family. Now, what the Bible also makes clear from cover to cover is that even though God is Father of all mankind in the sense that he created all people, he does not see himself as Abba of all mankind. Does that make sense? hope so. In John 8, verse 42, Jesus told the Pharisees this, he said, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God. And then in verse 44, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. See, when God looks down on earth, he doesn't see one family. He sees two families, He sees his own family of faith, the children of light, the sons of Abel. He sees them. And then secondly, he sees the devil's family, the sons of Cain and the children of darkness. So he sees two families here. Listen carefully to what First John um, chapter 3 and verse 9 and 10 says: says. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not um, do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother or sister. And then in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 1, says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, folks, I know this sounds kind of harsh, and I certainly know that this is not politically correct. But all scripture teaches that until you are born again into God's family through faith in Christ, until you receive the gift of his spirit, which according to Romans 8 is a spirit of sonship, you don't have a right to call God Father because He's not our Father if we've not been born into his family. My kids get to call me Father because they were born into my family, and so it is with the Christian family see um, God does not today consider himself Abba to most people, but the good news is he wants to be he wants to be everybody's father. Abba. You know, in fact, God so loved the world that he paid the price so that anyone in this world, you know, they could enter into an eternal relationship with him. In the first chapter of John, in verse 12, it says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then in first John, the fifth chapter in verse one, it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, here is the most profound um, implication here. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father. Now, folks, that carries a lot of weight. And that's something that we need to think about. You know, ironically, just as we take the concept of Father for granted, you know, and it shocked the Jews, the Jews took our for granted, but it's a concept that kind of shocks us here. So it's just kind of backwards. You know, the Jews, they primarily related to God, not as individuals, um, but as his people, his called people or a holy nation. That's how they related to God. You know, they were part of a tribe, but as Americans, we just kind of praise our individualism. You know, we think we kind of put that up on a pedestal there. But Jesus taught, when you pray, um, when you pray to God, who is your father, think in terms of the whole family here. Folks, note this. When you look at the Lord's Prayer there is recorded, there is not one single personal pronoun in all of the Lord's Prayer. It's not there. You look at it. It's our Father. It's give us Forgive us, lead us, deliver us. You know, yet oftentimes, many of our prayers are all about me, 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 and mine. And it's something that we need to start thinking about when we pray. As Christians, the goal of all of our prayers ought to be the the blessing of all of God's family. You see, think about this. It would have been totally inappropriate for one of my kids to ask me to do something for them that might bring harm to the other child. That would have been just inappropriate. You know, in Jesus' day, you know, the rabbis, they prayed, Lord, do not hear the prayer of the traveler. And they said that, you know, see, the traveler, they wanted to pray for good weather um, for their trip, but the nation needed rain, so they didn't... They didn't want God to hear the prayer of the traveler there. Think about our prayers when we pray. You know, do they always consider the whole family of God when we pray? You know, do you pray to God as our Father? Do you pray your prayers, you know, do they just kind of betray a a selfish spirit when we pray? Or the lack of proper concern for His family? You know, as Christians, it's true, we're supposed to pray about everything. You know, and many of you do. But when Joshua was playing sports, when my son was playing sports, you know, if I prayed for more playing time for him, or if I prayed, you know, for their team scoring more points, that meant less praying time or playing time for a teammate or a bad night for some kid on the other team you know, so it's like, was that really what I needed to be praying? So I kind of had to remember that, you know, God might also be the father to those other boys and those other coaches and parents on both teams, you know, so we need to pray for our father. It's not just my father, it's our father. You know, one of the things that I had to remember, God also, he might be the father of some of those people cheering every time my son made a mistake, (laughs) But see, whenever we pray, we must remember that God is not just my father. He's our father, yours, mine. He's our father. And he's the father of all who love him. In our prayers, we need to keep all of our family, our forever family, in mind. You know, our prayers don't need to be so selfish. Now, let me give you an instant fix for this. Here is an instant fix. And practicing this principle, I've dis- principle, what I've done, I've discovered that I no longer ask God to do some of the things I used to ask him to do. You know, and I've discovered that I must ask him more of this one thing that he's already promised he would give us if we would just ask. And that is wisdom. Wisdom you know, about how we should think, how we should feel, and how we should pray for others in all circumstances. That's one of the things that's helped me out immensely. But here's the bottom line. If your prayer doesn't remember that I am also God's child, it's an inappropriate prayer. And if my prayers don't remember that he's also your father, my prayers are inappropriate because God is our Father. Number three, we're to pray to God as Father in heaven. We're to pray to God as Father in heaven. You know, God is on the throne. All power and authority in heaven and earth is his. And because all power in heaven and earth is his, um, that means something to us. So what does it mean? Well, it means that he is not bound by the rules and restrictions we experience here on earth he transcends. You know, according to Daniel, the seventh chapter, he's the ancient of days. And because of that, we have access to just all of his wisdom. And he's omnipotent. You know, in Revelation, the first chapter and verse eight, you know, the almighty God, you know, and because of that, we have access to all of his powers. And according to Romans eight, you know, we are his heirs. And because we are his heirs, um, all of his heavenly riches or resources are available to us as well. Now, learning that my dad, he didn't have all the answers, and he could not solve all of my problems, nor did he have the power, the wealth to give me everything I wanted. But I had to learn that, and I had to teach that to my kids as well. But let me tell you something. Our Father in heaven does have the wisdom does have the power and the resources and the authority to move every mountain in our lives. Amen? Amen. Matthew 7 and verse 7 says, So ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open to you. And never forget, our Father in heaven is according to Ephesians 3, he's able to do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine according to his power. Folks, our prayer should be ongoing and it should be just a natural outflow of our relationship to our Heavenly Father. We should be in prayer all the time. Pray without ceasing, Scripture says. But folks, we have a, Since we have an all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving Father in heaven, we owe him what every child owes their wise and loving parents. We owe him not just proper prayers, but we owe him our complete trust and our loving obedience. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are just so grateful for your word. And Father, for teaching us how to pray. And Father, we want to ask for wisdom as we continue our prayer life and how to pray. Father, we pray that you would give us that wisdom, and we pray that our prayers would become more and more meaningful to us and you. In Jesus' name, amen.